Well, thank you, Craig, and good morning, everybody. You know, it's a bigger crowd than anticipated for, uh, for the weather and everything else that's going on. Uh, we are in the midst right now of a series that's walking through the Pentateuch. So if you have been with us here for a little while through this fall, we've went through the book of Genesis, and that just ended right here before Christmas. And we're about to go through the book of Exodus through the spring, and then we'll be hitting Leviticus and Numbers together in the summer and Deuteronomy in the fall. And as a transition, we wanted to look at this psalm of Psalm 90, and it really fits well with where we are in the series, this break in between Genesis and Exodus, and it also fits really well with just where we are in life and in the world, and really, especially with this new year, and a new year really presents us with a lot of opportunities to make wise choices, right? Everybody wants to be wise and to make good resolutions, good decisions, good thoughts for this next year. These are the things that are, I'm going to do. We certainly don't want to be foolish, but we want to live wise lives. And Psalm 90 really provides for us this wisdom for how to live a godly life, how to approach our lives in such a way of this wholehearted honesty and faithfulness towards God, towards the world, towards others, that Moses here in Psalm 90 really provides. Because if you didn't know this, this is Moses' psalm. This is the oldest of all the psalms. You know, Moses is writing this psalm on the Exodus. And so it is this, gives us this kind of wisdom and perspective that really fits for them and fits for us today. So if, if you don't have it with you, I mean, so it's in the handout. We didn't necessarily have a greeter this morning. If you need to get a handout, there's one over there, or obviously you can look it up. But we're going to walk through the psalm together uh, and, and try to get a picture of this wisdom that Moses is trying to provide for us. So those first two verses. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. The truths that Moses presents here, that are really staggering. I think, I mean, we're going to get to the kind of crux of the of the psalm, which was that, you know, teach us to number our days so we can get a heart of wisdom. But leading to that verse, he really lays out some really important truths that just floor us, or should, right? And this first one, God is our dwelling place. Always has been, always will be. That's pretty staggering. When you think of Moses' reality on the Exodus, wandering I mean, they have not had a home, not just for the Exodus, but before this, they were in slavery for hundreds of years. The idea of a home, the idea of a dwelling place, where are they going to dwell? Where will be home for them? And for Moses to make that statement right at the start, God, Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. You are our home. When we look at wisdom, I think it's helpful to kind of look at the counter-truths or like what, what's the other option to the wisdom that's being presented. All right, so if God is our home, what's the other option? Right, well, that other option is the one we always fall for. This is my home. Right, that's what's so easy to believe, that this is my home. My home is my home. Or whatever you want to make your home. My family is my home. I'm always home when I'm with my family. 
or I'm always home when I have this, or I'm always home when I am in this one place, or one day I'll have a home. I mean, that, that yearning and longing for home is one of the most profound, strong yearnings within a human heart. I just want to be home. I want to have a home. I want to find a place that's going to be my place where I will be loved and accepted, be whole. When will I ever be home? Moses starts out the psalm with pointing us to the truth. There is no home outside of God. Everything else is not your home. We are sojourners. We are travelers. We are staying in a lot of places. But there is only one dwelling place, and it's in God. Verses 3 through 6. You return man to dust and say, Return, O children of man, for a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. The second incredible truth that leads us to wisdom, God is the only thing that is eternal. We are like grass. We are not eternal. And in fact, far from it. In comparison, right, we are but nothing in the grand. It is so brief, the moments of our lives, right, it is so quick. This reality of death and the reality of our death. Again, if you think of Moses on the Exodus, I mean, how many people had he buried while they were traveling? The, the reality of the brevity of life was very much in front of him. The reality of the brevity of our life is very much in front of us. Whether we want to look at it or not is a whole other question. Right? And as a culture, we push very hard <clears throat> excuse me, to not be reminded of the brevity of life. We don't like to look at Death. We don't want to be reminded that death is an ultimate reality, that all of us are dying, and that all of us will die. And for some of us, it's going to be very soon. And for others of us, it'll just be a little bit longer. But it's what's going to happen for all of us. We are like the grass. We will rise, and then we fade away. Death is this reality. But that counter-truth, this foolishness, right, that we fall for again that the world really promotes for us is that there is nothing more important, there is nothing more lasting than my life and the things that I do with it. This is it. Right here, right now, this is what matters the most. There is nothing more important than my own personal happiness or the happiness of my loved ones. We kind of turn it that way too. Oh, I'm not, I, don't, I know I'm not going to live forever, but my kids will or my grandkids will. I'll put it all in there in that basket, but it is just, it passes away. We pass away. Death is this hard reality to face. And instead, we tend to live our lives acting and planning as if we will live forever. The goal is to maximize happiness in this life for us, for others, forgetting that everything will pass. We make plans and we build up Right? I mean, the Proverbs talk about this a lot. 
Right, but this is how we live. We build up stores, right? We build up bank accounts, we build up houses, we build up all kinds of things just to be passed away. But we act, we like, to, we pretend that this is our, not just our home from that first truth, but that our home will last, that the things we build up will be of eternal value, that our lives will live forever. It, it isn't the truth. We have a brief moment on this earth. Verses 7 through 11. For we are brought to an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason reason of strength 80 Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear of you? This third truth, it should startle us, right? And this is a hard truth, right? But the reality is we live underneath the wrath of God, under his anger. Whew. That's a difficult reality. When you think about Moses' reality, I mean, they have spurned God time and time again. They get, he gets what it's like to experience this wrath and anger of God. When you think of that Exodus, we're going to go through that story. And the Exodus is such a powerful story because it is really this template of God's plan for his people. And it is it become the story of Israel and our story as well. God loves his people. He pulls them out of slavery. He brings them to himself And they continually choose to worship other gods. They continually turn away from him. They continually grumble and complain and sin against him. And they experience the consequences of their sin. They live lives underneath the wrath of God. Their their sin is not a secret to God. right? Because that's this truth. The, The truth here, this third truth really is we live under the wrath of God because God knows our sin. There, it is not a secret to him. In the Exodus, they have to live within that reality. A whole generation is going to wander and never see the land. Moses is going to live under this reality from his sin. He will not see the land. He gets it, what it looks like to live underneath the wrath of God. It's a helpful reminder for us because, again, that counter-truth that we can tend to believe, we can tend to believe that I can keep everything about my life a secret. Nobody really knows the bad stuff. And in fact, everything's fine. Everything's totally fine. I've got this under control. My life is fine. This world is fine. Everything's fine. My family's fine. I got this. Everything's fine. Moses understands, right? The wisdom, things are not fine. This world is not the way it should be. Our culture is not the way it should be. Our families are not the way that they should be. We live in the reality of sin. And we experience the consequences of sin daily. Death is because of sin. Like this is not the way God has intended it to be. I can't live a life of secrecy. But we want to believe, and as a culture, right, we're told this, that no one needs to know your sins. I shouldn't have to deal with the consequences of my decisions. I can hide from them. I can run from them. I can mitigate them. I can fix my life so that it's pretty good. It's fine. 
Everything's fine. Nothing is fine. Everything is messed up by sin. And we live this life now underneath God's wrath. Which leads us to verse 12, which is the crux of the psalm, right? Therefore, so, if this is true, teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Right, this is the wise response to this reality. If this is true, if we are fleeting, God is eternal. If this world does not contain our home, but it's to be found with God, if God knows the depths of our soul, if he knows our sins, if our sins are before him, okay, what can I do? (laughs) Moses says, you should number your days. That's the wise response. Look honestly at your life and recognize you have a limited amount of time left. Live your life in a wholehearted manner, recognizing how many days you have and what it looks like to live with wisdom. Have a proper orientation towards your life, towards God's, towards others. This life of being a sojourner, awaiting, of working towards the kingdom, of traveling through and longing for, working for, yearning for God and for his kingdom and not being so easily satisfied with these counter homes that we're constantly given. Because the foolish response would be to make no plans and just to live moment by moment, right? I mean, can you imagine? I guess that was an option on the Exodus, right? You just, whatever. I'm just going to, day by day. Hey, who knows? Maybe tomorrow we'll end up in the land. Maybe we won't. And that really comes out in the grumblings and complainings for the food and for everything. No long-term vision, no hope of the kingdom, but everything's about here and now. My immediate needs are either being met or they're not met. If they're not being met, I'm going to grumble. If they are being met, I'm going to be happy. But I'm just going to live for right now for my needs rather than this proper orientation of building up the kingdom of God. And then when we look at the ending of the psalm, Right, Moses really gets to this because, I mean, how is this possible? Because all of us get confronted by that bit of wisdom, right? I mean, this is true of all biblical wisdom. None of it's new. And in fact, I mean, that, that's pretty common wisdom. You should number your days, right? And you hear that all the time. The Atlantic just had a thing about neuroscience. Scientist is approaching death and gives wisdom for, like, how to approach death. You know, every, there's a million books on this. There's a million... TED Talks on this, right? You do, yeah, people who get cancer all of a sudden, right, talk about living your life like you're going to die, make, you know, make, have a wise, okay, we get it, we've heard this, but we don't do it, and we don't do it, we're not sustained with it, we kind of get reminded of it when a loved one or a family member passes away, okay, yeah, mortality, yeah, okay, that's right, I should maybe make some plans, but then it just, you know, we forget about it. And we start to live those foolish lives again, pretending that we live forever, pretending that my personal needs, my needs in the moment are the most important thing ever and that they need to be met. So how do we sustain this life of wisdom? How do we, in fact, what does it look like to number our days in a wholehearted, sustained manner? And that's where Moses really gives us that picture in 13 through 17. He says, return, O Lord, How long? Have pity on your servants. Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us and for as many days as we have seen evil. 
Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. What keeps us living in this wisdom? What keeps us with this proper orientation? Right? What is it that will satisfy us on our wanderings, right, in the Exodus for Moses and for the Israelites, right, what is it that's going to give them hope, knowing they'll never see the land, right? I mean, if this is it, if I, I, if I may never see the kingdom in my physical life, what motivation do I possibly have? I mean, why number my days? Why live for something other than my own personal glory and happiness, right? I mean, like, I, I think our cultural model, these cultural narratives of living for your own happiness, I, right, I, I get it. I it feels really good. <laughs> it does feel like wisdom that I should be more concerned about my happiness than anybody else's, that I should look after me, that if I don't, nobody else is going to, that it does feel good to buy things. It does feel good to have a house. It does feel good to labor for my own glory, to build up my own name. I mean, I get it, right? It's so appealing because it's so true in that it does fill us. It does satisfy us. Moses is saying, though, right? No, the only thing that will satisfy us and sustain us is God's love, right? This wisdom is only going to be sustained in us if God's love is the sustaining hope and power in our lives. A life that is sustained every morning by the love of God. That's it. Which leads then, right, again, and... and Biblical wisdom is so great in that that it gives us these pictures. A life where you are sustained by God's love is a life of joy and worship. It is a life of satisfaction in the midst of affliction, Moses says, right? How is that possible to have joy and satisfaction, to be worshiping in the desert, to be worshiping in the midst of affliction? It leads to a desire to see God's work established more than our own work established. To see his glorious power revealed rather than our own glorious power. To do work that lasts rather than our own work which doesn't last. So Moses is pointing us to really the only true source of satisfaction and sustaining hope and joy and worship and power for these lives, this wholehearted life that George has so eloquently really preached out of Genesis, right? Like, what does it look like? How, how do I live this life? What is this life of wholehearted devotion and faith to God that's honesty before him with my faults and with my hopes? What sustains it? And was saying, it's being satisfied by God versus that counter-narrative, right, this counter-truth, the foolish life of being satisfied by things of this life. Because we have a lot of different options to where you can find your hope and your satisfaction. And even as Christians, right, this is so easy. I know God loves me. I know he's forgiven me. I know I'm going to go to heaven. I'm looking forward to that. But I find my daily satisfaction, Right? And that's, again, on the Exodus, it was really that time of training for them, this daily stuff, right? The manna came daily. There was this daily training of their hearts and their minds, right? 
I, where do I find my day-to-day satisfaction? What truly satisfies me? I know God loves me, but daily I find satisfaction in what? We are too easily satisfied. C.S. Lewis gives that picture. If you've ever read, uh, oh, I forget, oh, I just lost it. Is it Miracles? The Weight of Glory. Thank you, Josh. Total forgot. The Weight of Glory. He gives this picture of like, that's our greatest problem. It's like we are children satisfied playing in puddles, right? When right over the hill is the ocean. It's like, why are you so content with these puddles if you just went over the hill? Yeah, and, and that is us, right? We are so easily contented with the things of this world. In Romans, right, we've traded the creator and the author of all things for the created things. We are easily satisfied and then easily disappointed by those things because those things were never meant to satisfy us. So we put all of our hope, we feel like we're home when we're with our family, and then we get angry and disappointed when our family betrays us or doesn't want to be with us or makes choices that don't include us, right? I'm hurt now. Well, they were never meant to be my home. You know, we, get, we put all of our hope in having an actual physical house, having, but then crime hits the city, and all of a sudden we don't feel safe, or whatever it is, or, or our kids. It, we find all these things to find hope and satisfaction in, and they always disappoint us. We're too easily satisfied, and then we get rightly disappointed, and we work and we try for something else that will ever, ever hopefully satisfy us. We spend our lives working at things that ultimately don't matter. Right? It's almost as if you could imagine being on the Exodus and right, like trying to build up homes. You know, how foolish. Like you're just passing through. What are you doing? You know, I'm just gonna stay here. <laughs> this is a good spot. I want to hang out at this, by this mountain. It's good enough for me. I don't need the promised land. Or worse, right, and this is the Cumberland complaining, I'd rather go back to slavery. At least there, there was food. Versus, don't you, no, don't you see? Yes, this is affliction. It's trial. It's struggling. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a lot of pain and disappointment. And Moses is saying, yeah, look at, look at your life and how many years of affliction and struggle you have. But are you working for something that is perishable and that will pass, or are you working for something that will be everlasting? Even if you won't be there, or you won't experience it, you won't see it in your lifetime, right? Are you willing to work for that? Like, that's what's wise. This call of wisdom to us out of Psalm 90, right? It's this wholehearted and honest life, it's honest, right? Psalm 90 is incredibly honest. It's honest about who God is, right? And we have to be honest with this. God is our home. God is the greatest source, the only source of satisfaction and joy. He is eternal. That's who God is. We have to be honest about ourselves. I am not going to be here very long. We are not going to be here very long. I'm about to turn 44. I, tail end, right? Like it's, I'm past the midway point of life. It's time to start planning accordingly, right? Like I'm not going to be here, right? 
I won't see a lot of things that others in this church are going to see, right? Especially when you look at like the young children, right? They will see things I will never get to see. They will get to see the fruit of labor that I will not. But and then they will not see the fruit of labor either that they hope for. But the next generation maybe will, but maybe won't. Again, it's this like, what are we working for? I am not going to be here much longer. That's the perspective of wisdom that we need to have towards life. Our lives are momentary and incredibly short in comparison with God and his eternal kingdom, which I will be a part of, which is exceedingly hopeful and great news. But in this life, it is short. This life of wisdom, while it helps us to be honest about God, honest about ourselves, it also enables us to be honest about the world, which is really necessary as well. This world is not right. This world is messed up. And this world is not home. No matter what it tells me, no matter how it tries to fool me, no matter how much it tries to make me feel at home, this is not home. I need to remember that. I need to make decisions based off of that. I need to know where my true home is, and I need to know about this kingdom of God that's coming, where there will be true justice and peace and satisfaction. And I can honestly look at the world and see it for what it is. It's good. It was created good. And there are still so many images of that goodness poking through, but it has also been corrupted by sin. And one day it'll be made right, but it's not made right yet. And I need to have that honesty with it. So I'm not as easily seduced to stop the exodus, right, and just settle down in the middle of the desert. This is not my home. And this psalm also, though, helps us to be honest about the world that's to come. Right? It does for what is truly everlasting and provides this hope, a hope of the world that is to come. Because will I pursue... Because the, what the psalm really stirs in us all, right? I mean, with this reality, it's, and these are, you know, it's a fun sermon George gave me to give, right? Of we're all going to die. Number your days, right? Like that's, that's harsh. <laughs> but what are you going to do, right? When you hear that, it does cause us to start to wonder then, well, yeah, what will I do? How will I live my life? If you only have so many years left, what do you want to do with them, right? What do you want to work for? Do I want to work for a kingdom that's passing away? Or do I want to work for a kingdom that will be eternal? And that's really the option. Do I long to see my power and my glory on, in my life? Or do I long to see God's power, God's glory, God's work become established? So how do we develop this heart of wisdom? Hey, and... This, doesn't, this isn't just flipping a switch, right, to all of a sudden, like, because this is what I said, we're so inconsistent with this. And as a culture, we're so inconsistent with this. We get this reminder of the mortality of life, the brevity of life, and we're like, all right, I'm going to make changes. Or New Year's resolutions. Here we go. This is going to be the year. You know, but we're very short-lived with these things. And they come and they go and we forget. Well, wisdom, wisdom takes training, that's been one of the big keys that's been coming out of this Pentateuch series, out of Genesis, right? Moses was trained. This isn't just something that just came to Moses' mind all of a sudden in the wilderness. I'm like, 
you know what? I don't think I'm going to live very long. What should I do? You know, God has been working on Moses his whole life, showing him these truths of who God is, of who we are in comparison to him, how God is dealing with sin, how God is redeeming and reconciling his people, and this promise of God to bring about the Savior and the eventual kingdom of God. It takes training. It takes us being trained in the love of God, in his mercy, in his promises, in his power. This is what it means to number your days. I mean, it really is train yourself, gird yourself up in the realities and the truth of God of who he is and who you are in relation to him. Moses and Israel had a lifetime of training their hopes. They had a hope, and they had trained themselves in that hope. They had Passover. They had all these things to train them in the hope that one day, all right, a Savior would come who would reconcile and redeem them and bring them home. That was their hope. That was Moses' sustaining hope. He knew he would never see it in his life. He knew he wouldn't get even to the land, let alone see the Savior come and redeem and reconcile all things. Right? But he had hope. Israel had hope that it would come. Now, us on this side of Christ have the same hope, but a certain hope. It's a certain hope in who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. We have the opportunity to let our hearts be trained, not just by the promise of a Savior, but by the reality of a Savior who came and who died and who reconciled all things. We develop this heart of wisdom, this wisdom of a life, this wholehearted life, really gets developed in us when our hearts are moved by seeing the cost that Christ paid on our behalf to bring us home. The home that I long for is secure. I will arrive there one day, no matter what happens to me in this life, no matter how many days I have, no matter what happens to my home, my family, any of those things, my home is secure. And it was purchased for me. We can let our work be empowered by the power of the Spirit. Right, what a great reality that we have because of what Christ has done for us, we have the same spirit in us that empowers us and strengthens us in our exodus, in our sojourning in this world, to work for something that is eternal. I'm not on my own to do any of this work. I have the spirit within me. And we have this certain hope. Because of the resurrection, we know what awaits us. It's been secured for us one day all things will be made new and will be beautiful and eternal. But in the meantime, right, it strengthens us and helps us really to number our days now. So the encouragement, I mean, the call for all of us, and it's through all of Scripture, not just in Psalm 90, this is really the message of the Pentateuch, right, is, I mean, number your days, I mean, really is this, I mean, what are you living for? Are you living for the coming of the kingdom? Are you working towards the things of God, or are we going to work towards the things of man? Do we find more satisfaction in God and him in our dwelling place and our hope in him and the things that he is doing, or are we going to find hope in the things that we are doing and where we find our satisfaction? 
And as we approach this series and this point in the series, I mean, really, I, th- I would encourage all of you, wherever, wherever you are when it comes to your faith, your hope in Christ, right? this is an, a, a tremendous call and a tremendous opportunity for us to really honestly approach and look at our lives. To be honest. Let me talk about it. Our, our culture and our world is so dishonest. Right? The world is darkness. It's filled with dishonesty and hiding. No one is honest or feels like they could ever be honest. I can't share what I truly want. I can't share my desires and my hopes. I can't talk with people about things. I mean, again, we, we live this life of foolishness, thinking we're going to live forever, thinking we are safe here, thinking I can hide everything. What if God knows everything about you already? What if he knows all of your desires, all of your hopes, all of your failures? And what if he has secured for you an eternal home with him? How would you live your life now if that was really true? Well, let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, Lord, we thank you for the power of your word. Lord, we thank you for the reminder that you constantly give us, uh, Lord, of our mortality. Lord, we're thankful for your, your love. We're thankful for your grace and mercy that looks upon our sin, Lord, that passes over us, Lord, that because of the work of Jesus Christ, that you view us as blameless and holy. Lord, we pray that you will strengthen us, Lord, in this life to be honest, to be honest with you, to be honest with ourselves, to be honest with the world that we live in. Lord, strengthen us. Give us the strength and the power that we need to be able to number our days, to make plans accordingly, to really think about your kingdom and to plan for your kingdom rather than our own. Lord, we recognize that that really does require you and requires your spirit at work in us, strengthening us, and giving us wisdom. Lord, help us to yearn for that and for your wisdom and to rely on that more than we rely on our own wisdom or the wisdom of this world. Lord, help us to see the foolishness that the world provides and to see it as foolish so that we can choose you and choose your life and your wisdom that you provide, uh, Lord, and the hope and the life that provide, that's provided for us in Jesus Christ. Lord, I do, I do pray that you will strengthen us. Lord, help us. Uh, Lord, even if this is difficult for many of us, Lord, but to start to train ourselves in godliness and in wisdom. Lord, give us the opportunities in our life, in our day, our weeks, to be honest with you, with the church, uh, Lord, to be, to be mindful and to look carefully at how we spend our time and our money, where we find our satisfaction and our hope. And Lord, help us to repent and to give up the things that we need to give up and to put our time, our energy, our money towards the things that you have called us to, uh, Lord, towards the building of the kingdom. So Lord, strengthen us as a church and be with us here over this coming days, weeks, month, and year ahead. Uh, Lord, we do pray that you will establish the work of our hands. Uh, Yes, Lord, establish the work of our hands. We really long to see your kingdom come, to see your power revealed. So, Lord, do this work in us and through us. In the name of your Son, Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.